0: Hi, welcome to the FM Global Resilience is a Choice podcast. I'm Steve McGrath. The United States is emblematic of many countries around the world in that it is deeply concerned about its access to critical products that come from elsewhere on the planet. I'm thinking of products like medicines, computer chips, minerals for advanced technologies, and those large batteries that go into electric vehicles. These concerns prompted the U.S. president recently to order a 100-day review of the country's most dire supply chain vulnerabilities. The goal, he said, was not pure self-sufficiency, but broad-based resilience. These same words could have been uttered by any leader who's endured COVID-19, climate-affected disruption, widespread political tensions we're seeing today. And more than ever, business leaders are contemplating their own organization's resilience, or lack of it. So here to break down global supply chain risk and resilience in the current climate is Alan Maynard. He's Assistant Vice President, Senior Consultant in Business Risk at FM Global. Good afternoon, Alan. How are you?
1: Hey, good afternoon, Steve. I'm doing well. What about yourself?
0: Doing very well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today from Texas. Is this right?
1: It is, yeah. Yeah, here in good old Dallas. Yeah, it's my privilege.
0: So what's your take on President Biden's order to review uh, U.S. supply chains? this
1: was a secular shift that was already entrenched and well underway. Um, even before now, we have a presidential administration that's stepping in to deploy resources in a very concerted fashion uh, to be able to help move this along. Um, there are a lot of reasons that this was already moving this way in terms of just a, a re-examination of globalization, re-examination of the way that supply chains were structured. So you have already, there were different catalysts for this shift in global trade supply chains that was underway with Trans-Pacific Partnership or TPP, and the US's noticeable absence from there. You have the Belt and Road Initiative that China has had underway for years now, um, with connections spanning from Europe into Africa and of course in Asia. And then um, now for you know several years, still residually, the impact of trade disputes and tariffs. And, you know, in the ways that that's impacted trade and the way that that supply chains have responded to some of the the penalties that have essentially been imposed. And so all of these things have been in place for a while um, that has really uh, had an impact on supply chain in a way that it's now you're seeing at governmental levels a heightened focus, which makes sense.
0: Yeah. Do you feel uh, it seems like the common wisdom is that the pandemic kind of triggered a, sclo- a closer scrutiny of our supply chains because the vaccine distribution has been so visible in, and in everybody's faces? Do you think that's part of it?
1: It brings it front and center uh, in a much more prominent way where now, you know, vaccine availability and, and the things that, you know, from personal protective equipment, and and other things like that, that the pandemic really highlighted these supply chain shortages of. I mean, as we know pretty well, and and it kind of became a source of humor around toilet paper and paper towels. I mean, who knew that that was going to be, you know, like gold last year. And so, you know, finding these everyday items in short supply, I do think that it raises the, the importance that's placed on it by folks that maybe wouldn't have to think otherwise about it I mean oftentimes things that have stayed in the realm of the c-suite uh, executives, those are in procurement and supply chain that now is becoming something that that you know others are, are much more aware of that's affected them firsthand.
0: you had mentioned uh, the vaccines and um, at the top of President Biden's list of things, to look at in the supply chain review is the drug supply chain. And we know that a lot of drug ingredients come from Asia, chips, minerals, batteries, etc. Have you, have you heard anything about the progress of this review or where it's headed?
1: We haven't heard anything yet. We know that we're about 30 days into a 100 day timeline that he'd set out to really start to have some preliminary answers and have not really seen anything come out about where they're at yet, but the thing that I think has been very interesting so far in digging into the order itself has been the way that that really the, the supply chain is being unpacked here. You know, it's very easy to think of the supply chain as just this this abstract thing where it's just where stuff comes from. It's just a source of materials or products that we need. And frankly, as you dig into the the order itself, the order really dovetails very well with what Industry best practice and a sound methodology has really always been about how to properly view the supply chain and where the risk may lie to be able to really have a good comprehensive understanding where we can draw sound conclusions. You know, it talks about looking at manufacturing capabilities, the resilience and capacity of American manufacturing supply chains, looking at gaps in our domestic manufacturing capabilities, um, and particularly those around single points of failure. It Talks about looking at the supply chains that have single points of failure um, and whether the sourcing is exposed around singular suppliers or if there's dual or multi sourcing or even in uh, an environment that may be fairly robust with supply chain where there's still limited resilience in that environment. Looking at the location of key assets and what kind of vulnerabilities may be associated with those and looking at substitutes and alternative sources of goods where uh, they may be disrupted.
0: You kind of applied, but is, is this a good time for companies to review their own supply chains um, as the government and governments around the world, presumably, review theirs?
1: Absolutely. I'm not sure that there has been a better time in quite a while. The experience for a long time has been that you know companies do a very good job of digging into tier one supply chain. So that that first levels of supplier where they have their direct sourcing from for products, raw materials, and other inputs, they tend to have a a good level of visibility into and and a reasonably good handle often on how much risk may be in that supplier environment as it pertains to them. That visibility just has always quickly broken down when you try to move into a tier two or tier three layer. So Your supplier, suppliers, or or supplier, supplier, suppliers. And so a concerted effort that really breaks down proprietary company data for a particular industry could be extremely beneficial. And I think that's really what right now, present day, is being highlighted.
0: Is there an easy, cost-efficient, time-efficient way to go into tier two, tier three? If I'm a CEO or CFO, it sounds like, holy moly, now we're getting into a major project.
1: Yeah. So I don't know about quick and or easy, which unfortunately it's the, the answer to a lot of things is, you know, nothing worthwhile is, you know, something that's going to happen real quickly. There really is a spider web of complexity. That's been hard for companies to be able to put together. And while there have been some organizations, vendors that have tried to do that with various systems or approaches, have found that because of, of how much of the supply chain is proprietary in nature and how safeguarded a lot of companies are with that information, you're not able to put together the full picture. And that's where a company that's willing to invest the resources can potentially use a their leverage with their suppliers and be just the expertise and the bandwidth of their folks internally to put this type of analysis together themselves uh, to a certain extent. But I I do believe that this is where we're headed, is is a much fuller understanding of supply chain, because again, we're seeing vulnerabilities and risks that are just being amplified as every year goes by.
0: Given the yearning for supply chain sovereignty, if you will, do you envision new models of reshoring or new movements toward reshoring or maybe new models of offshoring?
1: I do, but I, I think that it's going to be limited. It's going to be much more successful in certain areas and less successful in other areas. The reshoring, again, has, has already started happening. You know, over the last several years, I remember seeing a stat that I think years ago, there was a, it was a few thousand jobs, essentially, that were impacted by reshoring. And then uh, just three or four years ago, I want to say it increased, you know, maybe 20 or 30 fold in just a matter of years because of some of that production that was being brought back over here. And so that's going to continue to happen. Certainly is there are concerns over availability and where that availability can be localized. as We move away from other partners that may be risk exposed for various reasons. If we have local availability, even if there's an incremental cost associated with that, that's still in the grand scheme of things. You know, the cost benefit may be there. I, I think that some of the ways that supply chain is being realigned and we're seeing it is it's less of a move out of specific territories or countries, and it's more of a move back to vertical integration, right? So it could be the same places, but we're moving from contracted manufacturers back to company control over the production themselves.
0: So if I'm a business leader anywhere in the world and I'm seeing all these uh, catastrophes and disruptions occur around the world, what's the first step I can take to... Kind of take a fresh look at my global supply chain.
1: Best practice would say you start at the end. So you look at your revenue streams and there's different ways to go about that. So it can be on a divisional basis, geographical basis, segmented or or product-based. But you want to look at your revenue streams and your profitability and then work your way backwards to everything that is critical along the way. And as we're talking about specifically the supply chain Piece to that environment, you want to understand what are the the materials, supplies, what are the suppliers, what are the geographies that are involved in the suppliers. Because even looking at suppliers that we think are well insulated, you could have a sourcing arrangement where for a key material, it could be multi sourced. And yet, if we pull the curtain back far enough, and we find that, and this happens, that that supply base. Is all in the exact same place, the same very concentrated part of the world, where if there is an event, geographies can be disrupted all at one time. And so you can have what you think is a very resilient sourcing arrangement that isn't when you dig far enough into the variables.
0: What's a common mistake, Alan, that business leaders make when they're looking at their supply chains?
1: The thing that that we find you know constantly as we work with CFOs and other C suite and executives is the way that they view supply chain risk oftentimes is by the cost structure and it's by really the spend. The reason that there's rationalization and the reason that it's set up the way that it is, is for cost optimization. But the way that we view it and what I think we're seeing proven out in the pandemic is there's also another way to view risk, which is that's great. We cut costs, but if we can't, get the materials and inputs to make and sell products at all, that's inconsequential. And so we've also got to view risk from the lens of availability. And that's where the C-suite, I think, is really starting to look at things differently, particularly the way that the methodology is unpacked, where it's that revenue stream and and profitability backwards view of dependency and trying to figure out, okay, what's everything that's associated with, with those dependencies that can take it down?
0: So you've given us a lot of great information today. What is the one thing that a senior executive should take away from this conversation about supply chain resilience?
1: So I would say the lesson we should take away is we are in a a dynamic global environment. Certainly the supply chains that operate within those are dynamic. Things are already changing. They're going to have to continue to change. There's a lot of of different variables that are, are causing realignment. trade and supply chains and where things are going to be produced and how they're going to be produced and of course the resiliency within that
0: our guest today has been alan mayner he's assistant vice president senior consultant in business risk at fm global thank you very much for joining us Alan. thank you Find more Resilience as a Choice podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other streaming services. Please like, share, rate, and leave us a comment.